Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, we bring you an update special report for X is for Podcast. We have discovered an undiscovered new mutant's appearance. That's right. Previously undiscovered new mutant's appearance is literally what played in my head. Like it was the most important thing that had ever happened to me. Hi guys, my name is Nico Action, and you guys probably know me as one of the regular contributors to X's for Podcast. In the course of putting together the research for a previous episode, X-Men Unlimited number 28, a history of Lila Cheney was in order. In the course of my research, I found a book called Spellbound number four, and I couldn't figure out what in the fuck it was. So I did some research and looked into it and discovered a miniseries unlike anything I have ever found in my life. And I had such joy researching it. It's it's so full of cracked out crazy ideas, but there's some really interesting pieces here that I needed to pull together a team to talk about this unbelievable story story and its inevitable follow-up. So joining me today on Louise Simonson and Carl Potts's 1988 six-part miniseries Spellbound is some of the best voices of X's for Podcast. Hi folks, it's Tori. You can find me on the socials at Tori underscore Sheen on Twitter at, at SMTori on Instagram. That's Tori with an I. And I'm TK. You can find me losing my mind to incredible power on Twitter and Instagram at xNateXGrayX. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me online at Dazzler AOA where I'm going to be moving stuff with my mind but swearing up and down. There's no way I'm a mutant. There's no way I'm a mutant. It's magical. How do I know that? I don't know. <laughs> And I'm Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K, where I will be screaming justice for Loretta, because if she wants to get with Scarl, she should be allowed to. She's allowed to call him handsome. Yeah, let her fuck the drummer. <laughs> and we hope you survive this experience. Unlike, I don't know, anybody who's gone mad with power. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> Can I start with a basic question about mutants? This, so this oh, comes please. out in 1988, and they're talking like, of course, obviously, you've got your anti-mutantism of like, if they find out I'm a mutant, I'm going to lose my job. But then they're like, have you thought about getting tested for mutants? And I'm just like, so we can, you can get tested now? Is this, <laughs> so this is... I get that this, this is, is pre-Civil War, but like, yeah, okay, so, so it is a gene, so you can get gene tested. Yeah. Yeah. In the 1980s, there was a group called the Friends of Humanity who mm. really hated mutants and along with a guy named Cameron Hodge, went on an anti-mutant crusade using the United States government, tried to get anti-mutant bills passed. They basically, like, to test if you're a mutant, they would, like, you know, like, try to drown you. And if you floated, then you weren't a mutant. Okay, so this wasn't like, hey, girl, let's get you genetically tested. They wanted all mutants to register. They weren't worried about anybody with power. So, like, if you did just have magical powers, nobody cared if you registered or did anything. But if you were a mutant specifically, uh -huh. you needed to get tested and then register as a mutant. Okay, so the <laughs> registering thing was around for a lot longer than the yeah. Civil War arc. Yes. Right, yeah. And oh, it, it only involved okay. mutants before. It wasn't, they weren't worried about anybody else who had Fantastic Four. Do your thing. Gotcha. It's just when they came after the not born this way that people were like, wait a second. Right. Yep. Yeah. Marvel had this uh, thing where, like, I think J. Jonah Jameson was like, Spider Man is a mutant. And everybody was like, oh, no, we hate Spider Man now. We hate Spider Man. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not a mutant. And they're like, oh, okay. We're all cool yep. Yep. Huh. Well, now I love that you brought up mutants because this incredible beast was brought to us by none other than Louise Simonson, who is the person who wrote as many issues of New Mutants as Chris Claremont, who edited Chris Claremont on Uncanny X Men for years who wrote the bulk of the classic version of X Factor. She's joined by Terry Shoemaker on pencils, doing some, in my opinion, career work. This mm -hmm. is some of 
the most beautiful, it's hard to believe some of these pages were done in the 80s before everybody had Photoshop to clean stuff up. Carl Potts, who is the co-creator, is only the co-plotter on the first issue, and after that, retains on as the inker. Joe Rosen, legendary letterer, is our letterer, and of course, this is from back in an era where the colorist went after the letterer, don't know how to explain that. Christy Scheel with Bobby Chase on managing editing. Bobby Chase would go on to write the sequel. However, I just want to point out, TK, of note to you and I, Christy Shield goes on to be one of the colorists in the MC2 universe. Oh, yeah. So this is such a weird miniseries to talk about because it came out in 1988. And as I'm talking about it with my husband, who is an enormous Sandman fan, like Kevo is like, there's, you know, that's his book. That's his comic. And he... As I'm talking about it, he's like, wow, this just sounds like a lot like a game of you. And I'm like, came out like three or four years earlier, man. And he's like, that's crazy. This predates Sandman by a year, which means that it comes out a little bit before the grand reimagining of magic at the big two. And I think some of this opening is very elf quest, very Dungeons and Dragons. And immediately, Mm -hmm. I had no idea what the fuck I was reading. I thought that snarl was the bad guy riding his big dragon creature like serpentera through the sky and then it turns out that's can we just get like official vote how do we say it zizax i was just gonna call him that guy i think i was like zizax especially when they're like and his initials are zizax and i was like no we're done here we could call him z yeah, hey, see, I thought he was a snark. I thought he was a snark or whatever at first. I was like, wait, what? Why is there a snark trying to beat up this elf? And why is there this weird dog riding him? <laughs> well, when Nico kept saying his name was Snarl, I was like, isn't that the cat thing from Thundercats? And I was like, no. <laughs> I <laughs> no, can't I'm using the two. <laughs> That's Snarf. <laughs> Well, so in all of this hysterical strangeness, we get some unbelievably tight canon, actually. There are spellbinders, and they control reality, and there's chaos and order, and there's Lord Z, and then there's The Other, which is a little strange, because if his name is The Other, how is his name? Who is he The Other to in the first place? Exactly! How is The Other the first? Well, um, I mean, once we meet The Other, he doesn't make it seem like he like he defeated someone else to gain the crown but we can probably assume that that happened and that maybe that they wanted to, like you know there there's a prequel series right there that i think i'm ready to pick <laughs> right now yeah, yeah. oh my god i'm so excited somebody needs to pick this up in 2022 and write that prequel series <laughs> exactly took five years for the sequel so my goal is to write a lila cheney story where cataclysm opens and that's my route to get this in i, I was talking about it with tk by the end i like want to put Roy in the New Warriors. I want to put Erica on the Midnight Suns. <laughs> and I'm going to write Sally in Strange Academy. Exactly. Uh-huh. So we have we have dreams here. We got and- plans. Oh, the part that I find so incredible is just how many breathtaking visuals are told in this extreme sequence of purples and oranges and reds. There is such incredible storytelling to the panel work. Don't get me wrong. It is a cracked out nightmare. There is like literally <laughs> he just destroys realities. Lord Z is just destroying realities left and right. Poor Snarl, poor Snug, who actually it turns out Snug is kind of a terrible person later on and I am not here for it but I am fascinated because the level of power we're talking about is Lord Z has the power to literally remake the realities that he's destroying which is huge I would love to see this in a Marvel Unlimited format or Truly. some story involving spellbinders in the Marvel Unlimited format yeah that would be really fun that would be so much fun like you could like bring back like art like this too and like it'd be perfect yeah, because for all of the reality disturbing that they do, because it's still the 80s, they're still running with the very like structured Literal. comic page. 
Yeah. And so if they started to play with the panel work, I think that it like more than more than what they do, I think it could be something really spectacular. And one of the critiques that both Nico and I had was that Lord Z, his body and like his size and his configuration just is not the best for some of this artwork. And it's sort of difficult to keep him in a panel in a coherent way. But as you said that, the first thing I thought was he would benefit the most from an Infinity comic in terms of being able to render him in a way that you were more able to understand how he's existing in this space and really get a, a real sense of his size and form. One of the things I love about Lord Z is he's so precious about his accessories. So he's got these bands and this crown and this book. And I just need to point out that if these things fit him, how do they fit her? Well, magic and they resize himself <laughs> to the wearer. Well, okay. and also he Honestly, doesn't wear he doesn't wear the bracelets as bracelets. They go on to like little knobbies on the crown for him. So like Yeah. The crown is is too large for most of the characters. That that's yes. been kept consistent, but the actual gauntlets and bracelets are human sized. Yeah. He calls them bracelets, but they're not really bracelets if he's putting them on his tiara, so I don't know. Well, and did he make these or did he get these? Another mm. important question. Because it does seem to I think sometimes he says both. They call them conversion rings. Like that, the, the word conversion rings comes up a bunch. You're right. You're. They might be ring sized for him. He just doesn't wear them because he's busy. Right. That was my <laughs> thinking. My thinking is they're oversized for the human. Like they're not human sized, and the humans have to throw them on their wrist because they're smaller beings. But they're intended to be rings. Well, uh, uh, yeah. they look, uh, no, I guess rings can look like that. For dragons, who knows? <laughs> well, and like that's the other thing. Like if these are supposed to be items that are worn by any spellbinder, right? I guess I guess you're supposed to have them together. So then when the crown allows you to shape shift, you can be anything you want. And I'm I would be very interested to find out if he was always a dragon or if his oh. madness made him the dragon. I love that read, Tori. That's a really mm. cool level. Oh. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, he used to be better. Like, we don't see her start to transform into anything. But like, girls obsessed with elephants for a while. Like, she could have easily yeah. become some trunked creature thing. <laughs> it is one of the weirdest threats she makes at so many people. Are glad I didn't, I didn't turn you into an elephant. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's a pachyderm, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> she actually does dramatically change because, guys, I need to be real with you. I, you know, when I, I first opened this up, I was trying to put my notes together because some of it does read a little bit like a 1980s fever dream. There are so many amazing threads here, but sometimes it does feel like we just go from moment to moment due to page time. And the point where Erica's like, all right, guys, I'm teaching. Never mind. Go home. Oh, hey, Andrew. <laughs> uh, hey, Erica. Well, Can I experiment on you? <laughs> Yeah. The oh, bell sure. you can the in college rings. Yeah. <laughs> in college, English 101, where she's teaching conjunctions. Conjunctions. <laughs> English 101 at, in. No, no, no. Not at, just at any, not at any college. She's teaching at NYU. <laughs> Which is my alma mater, so I was really living in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, at the very least, like, if you're going to do that, like, make it like an English as a second language class. At the very least. But I still need to point out, Andrew comes in and is like, hey, did you get your grant money yet? And she's like, no. And he's like, can I experiment on you? And she's like, sure. And so then he's like, look at you. You're pouring water with your brain. And she's like, but I'm not a mutant. And he's like, oh, oh, I didn't. But I'm not a mutant. Okay. Well, so I, didn't, I didn't ask. Hold on. I, you, you, know. you haven't explained who Andrew is, who is her love interest, who is the head of the, the paranormal science department? When did, when did Ghostbusters come out? Because 100% this is just Ghostbusters, right? I, I'm not crazy. I don't think so. Yeah, if Ghostbusters came out before this, for sure. So not only that, he has a degree in paranormal science. Who gave yes. him that degree? And how NYU. did NYU decide that this is, this is the department that we need and this is the man that we need to staff it? I mean... Magic exists in the Marvel universe, okay? Yeah, like, like, 
this is the thing when you have a world where mutants are accepted and this shit happens like paranormal stuff is just things like you still have ghosts you still have creatures that come from different dimensions like it makes sense and it makes sense to put the handsomest man there in charge of it and get some people in you're definitely not wrong I just feel like this is what they do at Empire State University and NYU (laughs) just remains in complete denial that any of this happens ever they think it's all just movie shoots that sounds like a Columbia thing, but I wouldn't know. <laughs> I went to, I went upstate. <laughs> okay, but speaking of creatures from another world, Charlie. Charlie. Is everything what is Charlie's problem? I'm obsessed with Charlie, you guys. <laughs> I hope she's Professor me. Smoot's like niece or daughter or some reason for her to be that high-handed of a bitch. She is the horniest character in this book and i love that for her (laughs) (laughs) it's just like she opens the door she's like hi (laughs) oh my god and it causes poor erica to drop her psychic vase Charlie knocks Dr. Smoot to the ground. Okay, I can't get over the line of dialogue. He basically says, she's got orphans, you fuck. (laughs) If the shoe fits, raising her orphan kid brother and sister alone can't be one big party. And I'm like, it doesn't even sound like one small party. (laughs) Like, everyone's really aggressive about dead parents in this series. Like, everyone's like, it's obviously your fault. Your dad died. He obviously didn't love you enough or something. And I'm just like, <laughs> I was like, what is going on? From this, Nico, if you don't mind me talking about my two favorite characters, by that I mean the two wild, you think this is already wild, where we're going to talk about Erica's complete descent into madness in three panels, but she has her younger sister, Sally, who can't read. Meanwhile, her <laughs> sister is an English teacher at the college level. She literally is a professor. So, and she really She's not a professor. She's still in grad school. She's working on her thesis. Oh. She's a TA. She's a TA. Yeah. Even slightly acceptable cannot teach her younger sister to read her younger sister <laughs> don't read good to which she has to remind her read well and then we have Roy who one blames his own parents for dying saying why did mom have to die on me Ugh. and is in a gang slash band that's not a joke Erica refers to it as a gang saying I don't like them. you hanging out with them they're a bad influence and Roy just being like, they're my band. Can we, can we also talk about the visual transformation of Erica from her being the college professor to just her hanging out in an apartment? I was like, who is this? I was like, oh, that's her? What? She took off her Listen, glasses and let her hair down. Yeah, there's a lot of very specific tropes in this one <laughs> that I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to like Erica that much. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to root for her. I don't know. So, okay, hold on. Now hear me out. So TK and I both read this Friday night. I'm reading it and I'm literally like dictating it to Jonah as I'm reading it. And he's like, stop making it up. And (laughs) so I... I really think there's something like Lars von Trier or like Aronofsky about Erica. She is like, she is like if Titus Andronicus were a woman levels of tragic. It is, <laughs> it is fucking crazy how tragic Erica is. It's, it's like equal parts actual Greek tragedy and like operatic tragedy meets soap opera. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, it really is. I also have to point out the amount of severe whiplash I would is given because of how quickly she descends into madness. The book yeah. also doesn't quite establish if it's because they have these psychic telekinetic powers that would and using them makes them mad because they later try to insinuate that you can go mad from just using those powers versus Erica eventually get, getting the gauntlets of chaos and order. <laughs> I spent time being like she is set up as a character who is going to choose love over power. She is set up to have the moral realization after the descent and then she doesn't. She no, doesn't at all. Very confused. 
confusing because she's, she's so 100% up. Yeah. She's 100% set up to be like, oh no, Roy, what have I done? Sally, your hair. Ah. And then like through the power of love and the, the, her and her siblings are going to rise up and defeat the monster and then give up and then destroy the gauntlets and live a happy life as not mutants together. And then she doesn't. She doesn't. And that was very no. strange. But can we also talk about how Andrew shows up and is like, hey, I got the grant money for you. <laughs> hey, can I talk to your siblings? Can You're I put them on my your parents' sister. ranch? Oh, oh my God. Can I send your kids away? Berate <laughs> these children for basically burdening their sister because their parents died. And it's like, she deserves a break. You guys have done nothing for her. It's like, what? And she's like, oh, he does care. He's yelling at my siblings. Oh my God. All of this is intercut with Snug and Snarl, who, okay, this is where the story really picks up on the canon for me, right? Because at this point, Snug and Snarl make it to our world, and they're like, hey guys, we're here. Um, you There's guys a giant dragon on now? our tail. <laughs> I actually think that up through here, the the story takes a really fascinating turn because this is the first time you get a hint that maybe Roy could be a spellbinder, let alone spellbinder supreme. So, <laughs> yeah. TK, how do you feel about this early seeding of the many characters that are Roy? I mean, we haven't even gotten to some of the most important part. Like, just... The fact that you come in and he's practicing his David Lee Roth moves. <laughs> I didn't realize um, David Lee Roth breakdanced. So. I truly did not realize that David Lee Roth breakdanced. That was insane to me. I because we are later jumped. going to find out that this band <laughs> slash gang is not... I figured it was a dance troupe and then it's actually like a band that plays music. And so yeah. does he breakdance for the band? Yeah. <laughs> like, Especially what? because he's like lead vocals or lead guitar. He's like in important yeah. <laughs> not, not only that that's how snarl auditions for the band by breakdancing because <laughs> our, in snarl's culture spinning on your head is a mating dance and somehow that leads to him being the best drummer anybody including lila cheney has ever heard <laughs> And, like, there is, like, a little hint that maybe he could be a spellbinder, but that's not going to come up for a really long time. And in the meantime, he is just so deep in this, like, dream that is, like, increasingly becoming weirdly a reality, even though he himself <laughs> tries to prevent it at one point. This oh. dream that they will make it and be, he will be able to give money to the family and justify this existence where he is a breakdancer in a band. <laughs> I also love that Snarl subscribed to the school of Ben Grimm thing as well as Beast of putting on a trench coat and a hat and nobody knowing that it's <laughs> yes. not a human. I also yes. think that's great because they make him talk like Ben Grimm. He's like a, what are you talking about type of guy. Now, so I love that we immediately move into this, just learn how to use your powers because up until here, guys, this really could have been an ongoing book. This number one you know, the ongoing struggle of will she or won't she eventually lose her mind to the darkness and she's got these powers. This whole thing could have been the start of a 148 issue series that ends in, you know, 1999. This really could have been that. But instead, they sort of say, what if we just go to the final five issues? And it really is in this fight. This fight is the decision when she says he's gone and she has vanquished Lord Z. There's this sort of weird moment and the transformation, the way she changes her look. We get that funny, uh oh, it's Mr. Parrot. At the end, she thuds. The end of this issue is almost the weirdest part of this book because it ends on this, this is the start of something great, kind of 80s vibe. You know what I mean? Like, the sitcom music plays. It's like she's mystically telekinetic, so why does she need a cape of flight? She's not good at it yet. She's not good yeah, at she, it yet. She, does, she barely has control of that picture. I don't want her trying to levitate herself. This is a safety concern. Okay. Keep the yeah, this, is, this is, you gotta control the winds around you. Like, it's fine. I don't know about the rest of you, but at the end of the first issue, I was like, okay, this dragon's not coming back for a couple, like, until at least issue four or five. Like, he's gonna be out of yeah. the way for a while while she figures out 
something else and then he'll come back towards the end and then this other thing is going to show up and that'll be the sixth book and that'll be the end of it. No, because by the end of issue one, I thought there were no rules. There was no law. Anything could happen at any moment. Um, <laughs> like th- This is not there is no like from point A to point B. This is a maze that will take a hard left at any point that it wants to. So it was to me equally as likely that he would literally be on a surprise next panel after it says the end as it was that he would not show up for the rest of the book. I I genuinely agree that there is this sort of limitlessness in where the story might go so when we take a look at that back cover it that back cover gets me every time it's so beautiful i i love the art on this book so much and i love the ideas behind it guys i never would have imagined we would talk for 30 minutes about that first issue and it's because there really is such a wealth of things to explore in these in these crazy pages and this idea that there's spellbinders so okay at the end of this issue we had three spellbinders and it's such a big deal that there's more spellbinders that when lord z began sensing that there was one he became afraid it was his undoing so snug and snarl in an attempt to defeat him learned that secret and the location of the spellbind the spellbinder was of course the spellbinder was Erica Fortune, whose last name is the best part of this book. Yeah. yeah. I'm choosing to believe she's a Jewish queen. I'm taking I'm working yes. on her for us. Oh no, I think it's more fascinating that we all skipped over the fact that tragic Erica's name is Misfortune. Oh that's I'm out. I'm out. Oh no. <laughs> Mic drop. Whoa. And I think the kids say it in the beginning. They're like, Misfortune, Misfortune. <laughs> Oh my god, that's amazing. Layers so, upon layers to this story, people. I'm telling you. <laughs> so then So Snug and Snarl try to come to our world to get the spellbinder Erica Fortune to face off against Lord Z. Now, Lord Z had started out good, but had trapped the other in a kind of freezing thing, the other being the first spellbinder. So the other is now frozen, and Lord Z has him frozen, and the other was all about order, which when we finally meet him, no, he's not. No, and he's not. <laughs> Lord Z is all about chaos, and it maybe makes it sound like maybe this spellbinder will be about the balance of both but that doesn't seem to really happen she just seems to get double crazy from the heat and that's the best part and so then she's got a scientist friend andrew and andrew wants to marry her but send away her younger siblings who she's responsible for (laughs) taking care of because her parents died and he also doesn't want to do that and wants to be their father He just oh, wants yeah. to give her a break. He just wants to give her a break. Also, a no mention of how the parents died doesn't matter. They're dead. They're just we have dead. no idea how their parents died. We just know it's an inconvenience for everybody. Well, no, <laughs> it says that mom, uh, mom died, quote unquote, I guess, recently. Dad died when Sally was like itty bitty, like when she was born or something like that. We don't know the exacts, but mom is like recent. It seems like mom was like a sickness. She had a deathbed promise. Like that's relatively recent oh, to me. And we do know Erica is an English teacher who can't teach her sister how to read. That's Which, also true. You know, everything about the way this story comes together sounds ridiculous, but like I really genuinely have to recommend you read this it is such an incredible one-of-a-kind experience and it struck me so crazy that no one has talked about this before there's just nothing about it online nobody's into this book nobody has pinups of erica but you can go on ebay and you can buy giant posters of her it's crazy so anyway when we finally get to issue number two nightmare it is crazy because the issue starts I can't describe it any other way because it's like 1980s so like I have to be like it's wacky you know what I mean in the totally, 80s, rad. totally rad she's flying and she's like I've gotten so good at my powers oh look a bank robber I've disintegrated him I'm gonna yeah. shoot him oh no now he's Lord Z I got thrown into a car and now I'm in bed and I'm like, 
This is so non-stop. We find out it's the next day, but it might as well be a month later. Yeah. And also, this is the beginning of where I start to question if Snug is actually interested in order. Oh, for sure. it's not. It's She's not. She's interested in, like, what she wants. Which is, I guess, the restoration of the previous order, but it is a complete and utter like disregard of the idea that once something has changed, you can't really put it back. And yeah. and so like her version of order is so uh, so revert reversion based that she comes off as as chaos because there's no future in what her order is i don't know i like snug in the way that i'm like this is fun this is interesting she gets the kid to read but also like what the fuck are you really order because like there comes a point where snark snarl snug snarl the other one is more interested in order than she is well, especially because she's the one who's like repeatedly lied to Erica. And he's like, I don't think we should do that. That seems dishonest. And she's like, no, no, no. It's for the greater good. And he's like, oh, uh, like that's not order. Pathological yeah. lying is not order. Um, but you know what is amazing? Breakdancing in the house. And I love this sort of idea of domestic bliss they try to indicate to us. Because once again, this segment did seem like it could have been from a book that could have been expected to go a long, long yes. time. Yes. And I really think that framing sequence at the bottom of page number six is incredible. That two window sequence with Roy and Snarl in one window and Erica, Snafu, and Brittany. What are their names? (laughs) Snug and Sally? Sally, that's it. Yeah, Snug and Sally. I love this framing window sequence. It really, I don't know how I haven't seen more books do it. It's so eloquent to indicate another angle of something going on inside an apartment. It just looks great. And especially with the establishing shot of the building in the upper left-hand corner, giving us a sense of the, you know, the red of the brick and the green of the window that we can then reduce for the close-up so that the characters can get all of the colors, which are informed by the earlier panels the art in this book is just so great it is it is why is she wearing an apron do like around the apartment though like that's so weird oh she's cooking people used to do that the fashion in this book is next level and i think this is where the whole use your powers don't use your powers thing starts and i love how hard this book goes on power is a dangerous threat especially because this is at a point where you know it's a very just say no kind of place and so i get what they're going for and maybe nowadays this could be done as like a powerful you know parent addicted to adderall kind of storyline but i really think this book has so much going for it that because it's only six issues when it gets caught up in one of these scenes in the hallway it gets a little lost however the entire book is worth it for the kate bush graffiti on the fucking wall oh that's a that's a singer right yeah (laughs) okay yeah yeah she's uh she wrote running up that hill and cloud bursting with uh peter gabriel and um this woman's work babushka This is what happens when your parents make you listen to the oldie station until 2001, and then you get to listen to pop music. You miss out on like all of the 80s and 90s. Yeah, Kate Bush is like a really cool lady Peter Gabriel. So, all right. Now, I need to point out that I don't love anything quite as much as I love the idea of Roy getting mugged by a rival rock band (laughs) on his way to dance practice when out of nowhere snarl comes to save him and this is where their awkward best friendship is formed and i love it and how do you guys feel about the fact that out of nowhere they decided that roy is like a really he goes from being the bratty other brother to being like a main character immediately in a way that sally never does to me that feels like we need like a plot b and sally's too young to sustain a plot b because her plot c is a little super childish and i think they wanted to keep it at a teens and above for most of it so to me that's it and then honestly i think it's because i think they were writing towards lila cheney the whole time 
Yeah, it's funny because like Roy is so ridiculous, but there is a degree to which I do find him plausibly cool. Like, you know, Nico, when we talk about the cool kids in the MC2 and like even Mayday at the start of it, it's like this is not a cool person. Like none of this slang works. None of this is seems like what a cool kid would be in 1998. Roy, despite his ridiculousness, actually kind of does like the idea that he like has all these friends that are in a band and they actually like could be going to go play a show with Lila Cheney, who is actually huge. Just the way he dresses, everything about him, even his dialogue, despite like the dialogue overall basically being entirely unhinged. He never has that vibe of like an older person that doesn't understand current teen slang wrote this. So there's a degree to which he has this cool character vibe. And it's a good balance for Erica, who is a little bit older, a little bit more put together in a way where she could be a professional superhero hero that we would you know want to see her save the world but she's not maybe the most fun person she's got this romance aspect going on it's just it's all interesting like there's total potential but it's a very different character from Roy and so the idea that he can come in and be like for anybody who is into this insane set of rules that we've set up where there's magic and there's these bands and there's this dragon like if you are into all that but maybe aren't super interested in following this English teacher who is losing her mind here is a kid that break dances professionally <laughs> in a <laughs> enjoy <laughs> this english teacher that's losing her mind <laughs> this poor english ta who can't get her sister to read good is you know battling this otherworldly conflict of having to fight inner demons as well as external demons and lord z and then her brother goes on this complete weird nonsensical character arcs where i feel like roy just fits with the narrative needed at the time he needed to be this snarky sassy younger brother Brother, who I think is secretly queer because he looks full on like George Michael, but blonde. And I it also kind of looks like a Ken doll. He's gay. But <laughs> more importantly, he's gay. I didn't feel like Roy had consistent characterization because it always felt like Roy fit what we needed him to be for whatever he was doing in the comic at the time. Whether he was this big old fucking badass acrobat, whether he's secretly almost, if not stronger than his sister because he doesn't go mad when he uses the power of the rings versus, I don't know, berating his dead mother for having him live with his sister or something. I don't know. It just feels like Roy is a cool character, but is not consistent. Well, I want to talk about someone who is consistently inconsistent, and that would be the amazing Erica. Okay, so I really love how Snug is like, just keep using your powers, don't worry. And Erica's like, okay. And she's just going about her business, really losing herself to the madness at, to the point where Jonah, when you pointed out that she's like, I can't make one of those yet. And it, she's trying to make a grandfather clock and there's a fucking grandfather clock in the image. So she can make it, right? She just can't make it work. She can make it, but she can't make it she work. She can't make it work. No, 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 no. Okay. The way I interpreted that was she specifically stated, I can't make a grandfather clock. And so I was like, you can make a clock. It just won't work because you don't know how it works inside and out, which I will say is a very fascinating take on the Spellbinders mm -hmm. creation and destruction of reality, where in theory, if you know how something works from inside out, and this is like a common theme throughout all these issues, you can recreate things from just your mind, which I find fascinating. But she specifically states, I can't make a grandfather clock. And then there's a grandfather clock in the art. Speaking of the art, taking my breath away when erica's flying over the city she and her cape look like the top half of a skull like you know her death is coming she is her own skull portent in the sky like mm, i see that the art in some places on this book is so good and I love her little flying unitard I think it's so cute and that she gets okay first of all we have to talk about how the band is like look at this little goblin monster <laughs> let's have him in the band when I out loud said uh, Snarl joins the band everyone was like no and I was like this is that 80s yeah I was very shocked that they called him E.T. when I would have thought they would have called him Alf. Yeah. But... yeah. And with the addition of Snarl, that brings this band to nine members, House which Scott. is insane. 
And one of them definitely just break dances. Well, and we, Several. We see in Flash Forward into the future for the five years later, you know, return to this story. There's like three people, including Roy and Snarl. So there's only one other person in the band at that, after that. Actually, not joking. There's only one other person that's on stage when they perform. <laughs> You know, the 90s were about cutting back on musical excess. There you go. Well, can I also ask a question? Oh, please. What does everybody think Doctor Strange was doing during this time that he was so busy that he couldn't deal with a magical threat to his entire city? Because this takes yeah, place in New York. the first thing I thought about. And I, there are so many people in New York that this goes on for almost what it feels like a week that nobody, and I mean nobody, has any interactions at all. Not to say that you can't do a story or that you this can't take place during a time when other characters are busy but like my first thought reading this entire thing was where is Stephen Strange this is literally his job oh and see my first thought was doesn't Iron Fist deal with these dragons like where is he <laughs> he wasn't popular enough yet <laughs> But it does, like, the idea that there is this whole other magic system that affects all realities and that can bleed into ours does in this case and can have massive consequences. Even if you didn't get Doctor Strange for this book, it's one of the reasons why I'm like, I love this so much. I want to see it come up again. Because the idea that Doctor Strange knows about spellbinders and is concerned about them and is wondering, like, if they will ever come back, if he should identify one in our reality and get them trained. That's a really cool story idea. I was actually really thinking I would if I had my chance to write something because everybody talked about what they would want to write I'd write an insert to the death of Doctor Strange but because Doctor Strange died the magic around Erica's crystal was like enough for her to break out yes. and, like, I am obsessed yes. with this because yes. like yes. I think that would be like a really great moment to like not only have like a really in canon reason why she would be able to break out of it but like have her be reintroduced to the Marvel verse and whether or not she's a continued threat that's fine but like I, when I was reading it, I was like, that would be a really good tie-in. Like, you can really ha- and then have it either be like Roy or someone else. I was thinking Ileana, but that's just because I love Ileana. But like, you can have it Roy and have it be like he has to fight his sister again. I mean, I love the idea that Cleo would show up and be like, girl, what the fuck? Girl, no. Uh, speaking of girl, what the fuck? Did everybody else love Charlie falling to the floor because Erica's body got so much sass it just can't sit in one place? <laughs> Yes. I that's like and that's like one of the last appearances of Charlie. Like she's just kind of done. This book winds up pivoting so hard so quickly. It's just like immediately not the same title anymore. And not in a bad way, but some stuff is about to happen in the course of this issue that I cannot believe the speed trajectory on. So we're number one, we are never getting through this whole thing in the time. I I, I just thought we were all going to have a couple of fun laughs and talk about the goods. I had no idea we were going to have so much fun with this. So, uh, it's going to be more than one part, guys. I mean, I it's there's yeah. just no way possible. This is too much fun. But the breakdancing sequence winds up feeling like a comfortable respite. Like, I feel like, oh, thank God, we're at a breakdancing sequence. I don't have to worry <laughs> about Erica anymore. Every time we go to a breakdancing... First of all, I just need to point out, Roy is dressed like he's going to some sort of Green Goblin Madness-themed party. Okay? I love yes. it. Number two... I really genuinely love the diversity in Cataclysm. Mm-hmm. Like, I was also very glad they weren't all people of color because that's what yeah. I was worried about with Erica's reaction. And it is <laughs> such a fun team of, of kids. And I think one of the things that really is kind of like a an X-Men tie to this, a Louise Simonson vibe, something that Wheezy is so known for, is that sort of inclusive behavior that she learned over in New Mutants. Just to give a rundown, we have IQ, Jenny, Ortiz, Roy, and Tough in this band. And this this is uh, then there's people not named even in the room. So like, it's just kind of fun. I, I like it a lot. And, you know, TK, you had joked about how it's like those sort of like scene punk bands where, you know, there were 10 people on the stage. The Mighty Mighty Boston's always had two people just skanking just for fun. Right. You just don't always have a, a horn solo. 15 years old. That was my job. I couldn't play a single instrument, but I was there on stage doing nothing. I am, doing, I am my generation's Roy. And 
that's a necessary element of that vibe so that they have it here. It really does lend an authority to this, a realism that I like a lot. And I think that that is the last nice moment in the entire book. <laughs> <laughs> well, and even that moment in the middle of it, they're, they're like, awesome breakdancing scene. Man, you're so cool. Yeah, thanks. I'm really cool. I'm just really sad because my world got destroyed. Smash cut to flashback of and like the story of how his world got destroyed for these teenagers who were just planning on playing some music and breakdancing this afternoon. No. They're like, whoa, that's a bummer. <laughs> hey, we got a call from Lila Cheese manager. I know. Oh, also, um, so like, what is a Lila Cheney? So a Lila Cheney is, so okay, Dazzler is the big guns. Yeah, I've heard about this Dazzler as a pop star. I didn't know there were others. Lila Cheney is like the underground Dazzler who's not as outwardly cool, but it's way more like underground cool. But like in the Marvel like universe thing, like right, like she's more famous than Dazzler at first, at least. She's the big star. Like even when Jubilee's introduced, she's like, who the fuck's Dazzler? That's Lila Cheney she's old people shit but like she's a kick-ass mutant who can teleport across vast interstellar distances yes. All right. so yeah she can't teleport like into the next room but she can yeah. teleport across the galaxy she can only teleport across the galaxy Okay. To kind of use a really crude analogy in a way that is perhaps not quite accurate. If Dazzler is Kylie Minogue, then Joan Jett would be Lila Cheney. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And Lila, Lila Cheney kicks ass. We love her. She just got an X-Men Unlimited comic. And that's how this whole thing happened. I was doing <laughs> the Lila Cheney X-Men Unlimited comic with Nathan. And I discovered this book in doing my Lila research. So she's always just sort of been like a pop star that everyone's like, oh my gosh when can this we, is her second appearance period yeah this is somehow her second appearance she appeared once two years earlier in new mutants annual number one where she became cannonball's girlfriend and then they dated for a couple of years and she had like 30 more appearances after oh my god huh. yeah, yeah. Cannonball's like yeah. 16 too yeah but, yeah there's some it, creepy age stuff uh, she seems so much more well established than that i know that's how good these writers were like that is literally this sort of quality writing staff that was running the X office in the 80s. It's incredible that they had that kind of mastery where like it fit in the universe that it was like, oh, wow, oh, yeah, she's Lila Cheney and just like slid it right into the story like it was nothing. It was Louise Simonson who had been writing New Mutants, which is the book that Lila had been introduced in, though he had though she had been introduced by the previous writer and longtime collaborator of Louise Simonson, Chris Claremont. Mm, okay. Speaking of Marvel Comics, for one moment, can we please talk about that fucking issue of Thor? I love that oh panel. Oh my god, yes. So where he's like, oh man, what you reading? Oh, the latest thing for Marvel. It's supposed to be really hot. So oh. because Eric has gone so crazy, she's making the Thor comic turn into lightning and thunder. See what I mean? Like, what a cute little advertisement. What a sly little motherfucker. I loved that. That made my day. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. I kept looking at this page where with her outfit and i'm like why why are her superhero costumes okay but her like teaching outfits like let's look like an 80 year old woman and then i was like <laughs> yeah. oh this is a comic right there <laughs> the point at which roy discovers that his sister might be going mad is a real turning point for the series because within the next few pages erica goes so mad that she reconstitutes dr z to battle him and this time he just gets away well, well, hold on. No, 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 no. I think you're missing the part where we don't know if we're supposed to like and trust Snug because she starts nagging Erica to reform Lord Z to get the crown so that she can have the full power of being a spellbinder so that she can reconstitute not only her world, but also Snarl's world, but doesn't think to say, hey, maybe we should train Erica. No, she just like consistently negs her to reform lord z and then he gets away and all of this is happening in the backdrop of andrew doing experiments on her still <laughs> where she says but andrew i'm bored with disintegrating things and trying to put them back as they were what the hell come on erica try again and this is all in the midst of him trying to court her because he is completely in love with her they both know this but are not acknowledging it or accepting it or doing anything with it it's unhinged. 
Unhinged is a great word for this entire series. This series is unhinged. I just, I just, this is where she makes an elephant, right? Like, I'm not crazy. No. Like, she yeah, makes no. the desk into an elephant. Elephant, elephant. This is the this beginning. Is where it this is where it starts. This is also where all of a sudden the paparazzi show up because Charlie brings them, right? Charlie brings the paparazzi in during this issue. I don't know if she brings them in, but this is where the paparazzi first start. TK, I would love to know your opinions because I was told your thesis about this entire series is that the real antagonist is journalism. The true antagonists are the reporters. 100%. It's just hilarious the amount of times that they're like, this situation is not good and we should remove ourselves from it. And we can do that very easily. Except for we have now been accosted by reporters who are borderline violent, will not let us leave, and are driving Erica into like celebrity madness separate from the <laughs> other madness that she's working with. And it's just a <laughs> compounding issue. And it's so clearly like you people need to give this person space, but they will not do it. And because of that, the entire world almost ends. Therefore, journalism is the true enemy of the people. Yeah, did- <laughs> Like, I know this is pre-Diana, so, like, what did journalism do to hurt Lou Simonson? Oh, my God. What Tom Brokaw hurt you? This takes place in New York. There are superheroes every day, and for some reason, paparazzi deemed this story the must-know for everybody. They have to know every single little detail. So badly, the reporters are willing to report and interview Lord (laughs) Z. I just... Choices. Choices. Did anybody else also find there's a surprising amount of death in this book? <laughs> oh, yeah. This book yeah. is merciless. Like, multiple civilians die, and nobody, nobody cares. Well, it doesn't help that this is a world where it seems like people can just have giant dragons sneak up on them. There is a level of unalertness to these people that I find just truly upsetting. And very confusing for 80s New York. You had to be very aware. That was the land of Ed Cobb. You were on your guard, you know? And so I love this whole, forget it. We're not a sideshow. We're not going to just play at your show because we've got an alien on the drums. I think that the whole Lila Cheney's manager knows that they have an alien and that's why they're booking them. But then we spend the entire scene when it finally happens being like, that's not an alien is the most ridiculous thing. But okay, I want to get your guys take at where we are now how do you guys feel in this you know sitting somewhere in the third issue about erica's journey her descent into darkness her journey as a spellbinder are you guys spellbound or are you guys spell burnt out god damn it i'm spell fused i'm so confused yeah like like at this point for me like i was still like she's gonna pull out of this this is this is one of those things where daredevil like like matt murdoch has a crisis of faith for 10 pages and then he bounces back like i was like she's gonna pull out of this she's got all the ingredients to pull out of it so i was like she'll be fine she'll kiss the boy and she'll figure it out i was wrong i was wrong i don't think there's any problem with Erica succumbing to madness and it actually would be an interesting foil to later we find out when Roy obtains basically the same amount of power not only is he better than her at it he doesn't succumb to madness in the slightest like at all and I think that could be very interesting storytelling to talk about for these siblings and especially what this means in terms of you know order and chaos this unimaginable power Um, it is a little bit like uh, Jean Grey Dark Phoenix it is kind of like this woman gets an unimaginable amount of power and immediately turns evil. But I don't know if this length of story was proper for it because we are truly speedrunning the entire steps of it. Yes. Like it is, I think they were truly like, how fast can we actually go from zero to 100 for her going to sane and powerless to powerful but mad? Because it feels like we miss a lot of steps. And to, say, uh, to talk about something that you talked about earlier, Tori, where you don't know if we were supposed to root for Erica, I don't think we spent enough time with her not mad with power to see this be an actual descent and worry about will she pull herself out or won't she i don't think we have enough time to really get to know her because she like us is immediately thrust into this problem and this original six issue miniseries takes place over like a week yeah like it's not long at all 
it's interesting because in that time we do kind of get to know Roy better because he is not going mad and he's going through all this stuff. Like, you know, he's making a new best friend and he's got this band and they play this show and, you know, he's starting to connect with what his power might be and he's having to face his sister. So he gets kind of an arc by the end of which that it kind of, we are starting to root for him a little bit or like get excited to follow him. It is really contrasting to Erica who just like really does in the middle of issue two, a switch flips and she goes into madness and it gets worse and worse but like it is a binary state of like she's okay she is now mad and how mad can she get it it's unfortunate that we don't get more time with it but I don't, there's something about it like the pace doesn't work that's just you you can't say otherwise but the degree to which the book just keeps hard pivoting and changing directions and going where you don't think it's going to go and like just not giving you a second to breathe there's something really fun about it and and I just wish there were a way to finesse the other elements such that that could work. Yeah. Reading this series, the thing that really struck me was with a few different pivots, a few maybe better placed moments here or there or a different direction with some of the characters, like this could have been something magical like the Longshot miniseries. And I think that's kind of like what Weezy mm. was trying to go for and didn't get. Yeah, because I definitely don't think like this is like, there is no part of this where I'm like, this is an anti-feminist take which is normally my response to these like oh you know the girl like descends into madness and and all of these things like there's no point of this where i feel that but it does just feel weird it just feels weird and you know i'm so glad to hear you say that because when i've been talking about it with you know the the staff as we're building this piece i've been saying that i actually don't feel like it is particularly like she has woman hysteria and she just needs the love of a man and the power of his ring you know what i mean they make it pretty clear that you know doctor doctor z <laughs> i'm thinking i'm combining doctor smoot with lord z they make it pretty clear that lord z went crazy they make it clear that the other went so crazy that he initially named himself not the first and <laughs> it's such a a specific thing and I love seeing how far this story was willing to go because my favorite part of this book so far is the magic I love this whole she can destroy and create but part of what she does that's so fascinating is it sort of seems as though the spellbinder can't just create it seems like the spellbinder's power is to remake what exists so one of the things I really find interesting about that is it's almost like the power is remaking her and I do think you know we make jokes about the fact that when she's business lady she looks like business lady but everywhere else she's a little bit like hey guys I just had a couple of Bartles and James and I think I'm getting flush right and like I love that for her yeah I love that for her and I wonder how much of that is the magic is changing her already they talk about before all this happened Erica was the most caring sister and she literally did make a lot of sacrifices because she was this young woman who's in graduate school for English, poor unfortunate soul, and she literally has to take care of her two siblings of the untimely death of both of her parents. So she's thrust upon this tragedy and she says, I'm going to step up, I'm going to take care of them. And she literally does everything she can do to not only make sure that they're succeeding and having an okay life, Think she works hard, long hours in order to make sure they have enough money. She's worried about rent, but I find it so so fascinating that she does this complete 180 where everybody's like we can't recognize Erica she's gone mad and I wonder if what the story is trying to tell us is that this magic was so unbecoming and because it's so untrained it is so chaotic that it flipped her personality because Tori said you said this was there was a switch it is an actual genuine 180 between Erica when she's not using powers and is trying to like just be normal versus when she does use her powers and she is cruel and mean and doesn't actually care about anybody she's very for a few moments chaotic good of trying to go by i will create a lesser evil to destroy the bigger evil like she genuinely is like people try to rob this orphanage we'll just burn it down and it's like no (laughs) that's where the orphan's gonna go she's like i'm not caring about that right now we got we got rid of the robbers it's like but you burned the orphanage down and she said i don't care 
I'm also very fascinated on if any spellbinder doesn't go mad. Do I would we... love to know. I mean, yeah. we see one spellbinder who doesn't. So, Roy. That we know of yet. Right. So, like, the reason is one went mad. And so now they attack any other one that happens. So that, therefore, they don't have the time to train and be not mad. So they go mad trying to stop the other one. And then it's just cycling. Oh, my God. It's an evil cycle. It's like this sort Sorceress Adea cycle in Final Fantasy VIII. This is amazing. Because this is a lot of power to put towards something that's just always going to drive you mad. And the thing of it is, I actually think the more we're talking about it, we see a lot of these sorts of tropes in things like My Precious Miracle Man or any other time a Superman goes evil. I just don't think we've had the opportunity to see it in a woman before. This is like taking the magical girl and saying, what if she became the dark magical girl? And it's just such a, an incredible thing because they contrast it with these bright, beautiful pinks and blues and the soft yellow of her hair. She's not this dark creature who takes on this evil visage. She's always beautiful and she always stays light and gorgeous. And there's something so confrontational about that iconography with the descent into 80s soap madness she's on. Lord Z in all of his giant dragon serpent terra man shit is I swear to God probably one of the most underappreciated Marvel villains maybe ever. He is so fucking over the top and ridiculous and he's wearing this like one piece women's bathing suit (laughs) and with shoulder pads. Mm -hmm. With shoulder pads and a fringe necklace (laughs) and he's got more teeth than a dental school and I would love to know how you guys feel about Lord Z, the most underappreciated, over-the-top camp villain ever who needs to show up in every book from now on. Okay, I love how he's dressed like Wanda Minimoff. I mean, you know, but like... But like in reverse, oh. right? Yeah, he's wearing Barbie's dream outfit. He, he really is. is living the life. He is. And like he is bejeweled and like he is just fucking fabulous. And you know, he's so fucking over the top. I am like in love. He's bejeweled and bejazzled. And also like he's one of these villains who's so ridiculous that we don't need a like I don't think a backstory would do anything for him. Like he just is. Yeah. I also love that his solution to everything is oh. Oh, a person. I'm going to murder and become it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just iconic behavior, just the way everybody should be going about life. And again, like this panel, this like the first page starts off with him holding a like way too, given that this is like 88, the journalist is, he's holding his paper notepad and pencil with his trench coat and his hat <laughs> on. Like it is just so stereotypical in the best possible way. And he's like, I will now kill you and become you because journalists are having the best access to Erica Fortune right now and that's what I need to work with. And I'm so glad someone said Erica Fortune because it is so fucking long in this issue till she shows up in her magical outfit lit because it's an outfit lit. It's not quite a full outfit. But, you know, Jonah, where you and I left off in our classic read of the X-Men, you were pretty vaguely close to this. You were really close to meeting Lila if you hadn't just met her. And this should be a pretty recognizable version of the New Mutants, with the exception of Ileana dressed like she's about to go on her third secretarial interview of the week. So... I would love to know how you feel about this appearance of everybody's favorite New Mutants. Well, they're kind of just there. They don't actually really do anything in this issue. The only person who does something like major was Lila when she transports everybody at her concert to get Lord Z away from, you know, everybody else. And then someone was like, why don't you just transport him? She's like, that's not how my powers work, babe. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess it makes sense. Work. But like, they don't actually do anything. They, they, they're kind of just there and the, this concert happens and they're like, we're going to help fight because we're the new mutants. And then that's just about it. Like you, you, It doesn't have to be the new mutants. It could literally be anybody. You could literally swap these three characters out at this concert for whoever you want. 
Which is so unfortunate because magic. Something I personally really liked from this is when Snarl asks Ileana, how did she basically defeat Belasco? And she said, well, I learned how to use magic. I defeated him with my soul sword. And Snarl says, I don't have a soul sword. I'm going to have to figure something else out. It's just a very bizarre moment because who do you explain this to? Who do you say, like, yes, this alien talks about not having a soul sword and thinking, huh, well, I guess I could figure something else out to defeat Lord Z, as if that, like, it's a one-to-one correlation. It was so bizarre because they feel like the proper characters. I think they're written like you would expect these characters to be written, but I don't think they serve any large purpose outside of, we're going to have a tie-in with the New Mutants because we'll get we'll get somebody to read this. Well, I also just want to give it up for that amazing Guido appearance. Guido looking all fucking big and hot and all green, hanging out behind Lila. He's looking so good. I just love me some Guido, right? Especially 80s Guido when he was still kind of like fucking punk. You know what I mean? Like before he was like an office man. You know what I mean? Like it's so hot. So other fellow new mutinists, how do you guys feel about what I'm going to agree with on Jonah here? This is a pretty generic appearance of the new mutes. Okay. So like, uh ah. Like, the why those three? Like, I get Sam, right? I get Sam. I guess Shauna makes sense. But, like, why Warlock? Like, out of any of them. Like, although he really looked cute and recognizable there. it's ugh, I'm so weirded out by the whole thing. But also, like you said, Nico, why does Ileana look like she just stepped out of boarding school? Like, she's very excited about her new job here at the, I don't know, book factory. <laughs> I don't, the book factory? Yeah, that's book factory clothes, guys. Good, good job at the book factory, well, I, I, Nico. I love, I, I love how, like, She's got like this really red looking like really old lady one. And then like then it like goes to like the concert and she's wearing a green pantsuit. Like what the hell? Is is she a child? Probably like 16. Okay. I mean, maybe she's trying to be an adult. And she's like a bisexual hell queen goddess and she's amazing. Yeah. A little bit of this of her fashion is reminding me of when of how Erica dresses when she wants to be a professor. In the 80s, you sort of drifted towards like hyper professional to be taken seriously or to seem more adult and if you were so like some kids could get away with like getting into places they shouldn't have been because they dress like a dowdy old librarian and everyone's just like oh kids don't dress like that you must just be young looking come on in interesting huh. um, oh is that why every like high school yearbook from the 80s looks like they're like 50 yep oh. yeah because it's a serious moment so we gotta we gotta look our, our most responsible I can't add anything to these new mutants because I'm pretty sure this is my first new mutants and I don't know anything about these children but i think that warlock one is a computer alien <laughs> i love that your is, interpretation yeah, completely of correct you're so good at this yeah. Uh, um, yeah i have to say i love that warlock serves us two different hot blonde looks we've got yes. the preppy in the purple periwinkle sweat pullover sweater and green slacks which just i ooh, the things that does for me and then when we get to the show that he goes full punk cut off jacket ripped shirt spiked necklace spiky hair i just warlock is the moment and i never knew that he could pull this off but it completely changes my needs and expectations for where later krakoa stories are going to go i just wish he hadn't been blonde because it made it difficult for me to figure out which one is supposed to be dating lila yes so that was like my one like tori is face blind a character she doesn't know yet well and roy roy doesn't help yeah yeah roy doesn't help anybody at all with anything (laughs) teenagers anybody got anything more to add this first episode but how could she not understand the uh, i'm sorry (laughs) like her powers like when she made the elephant so she like knows an elephant inside and out but not a grandfather clock yeah she knows the molecular what is this husk (laughs) (laughs) did she make an elephant because it seemed like she made like a melty desk into an (laughs) elephant and then she turned that into a cage yeah i was like and to make everybody else an elephant i love this book i can't wait to talk more about it and the (laughs) next time we talk about it it's going to involve a semi-significant volume of the new mutants and then it's a really unbelievable finale followed by an (laughs) even more unbelievable sequel so that sequel i have i have words for that sequel 